0: Listener Production. They say that you attempt to leave at least seven times. That was exactly the amount of times I tried to leave. And on the eighth time, I left with nothing. I just wanted to leave with my kids and know that we were going to have a peaceful night that night.
1: Mel B is one of the world's most iconic entertainers. She's part of the most successful girl band ever, the Spice Girls. Mel was known as Scary Spice and helped create the Girl Power Movement. Mel went on to carve out a global career as a theatre performer, a movie actress and TV entertainer. You can catch her now on The Masked Singer Australia on 10 and 10 Play Demand. But behind this glossy exterior, Mel was in an abusive relationship for 10 years, something she's written about in her autobiography, Brutally Honest. It is such a compelling read. I was beside myself with the chance to interview Mel and talk with her about her extraordinary life and advocacy for women. We zoomed into Mel at her loft in Leeds where it was almost midnight to see her laid back in her union jack chair with one leopard print leg flung over the side. So it sounds a little like we're facetiming each other. The perfect setting for the best D&M now, before we get started, this conversation touches on family violence. If this brings up anything for you, help is available by contacting 1-800-RESPECT for a safe place to talk day and night.
0: Oh, there you are.
1: Hello. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be meeting you. Oh, Do I call you Scary Spice, Melanie, Mel B, what do you like? Whatever you want. It's fine with me. (laughs) I've got teenage daughters. and Me too. Yeah, they roll their eyes at me when I tell them what they're doing. But when I said I'm interviewing Mel B, they're like, oh, my God, Mum. (laughs) We just love her. She is so cool. Wow. I should tell that to my kids. (laughs) What is it about being a mum that
0: they never realise or think that we're cool. Well, it's crazy. Literally, my 16-year-old, Angel, my middle child. So Angel's wanted to go to college in Japan to study, like, animation, create games, is into cartoons, drawing, freestyle. So Angel says to me the other day, so do people know you in Japan? I'm like, Angel, we had, like, one of our number one hits, the first one, Wannabe, in 1996 in Japan. We love Japan. Spice Girls are known in Japan. Angel looks at me and goes, really? How come? I had to literally (laughs) explain. So when the Spice Girls did this, and and then Angel was still like, they'll know you after all this time. I'm like, yes. It's funny. I mean, what
1: was that like, being at the heart of, I mean, you're the biggest girl
0: band in the world. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, there's been so many amazing girl bands from Banana Rama to All Saints. I mean, there's so many amazing girl bands. So the Three Degrees, the Supremes. We just were fortunate enough to come up when it was all boy bands. We were something different. What we preached and what we still preach to this day is girl power and supporting women. People understood it and they took to it. It just was our mission. And that was what we were, all five of us from all different walks of life came together. That's what we were meant to do. And that's what we did and that's what we're still doing.
1: And also, I mean, what you were meant to do, there was that ad, wasn't there, in that magazine that your mum circled, the stage magazine, that audition. That was
0: something different. I think it's where people get misunderstood. So that was for a, a girl band from some managers. We were already formed by then. Because we, we lived for about two years together on the dole, looking for management, looking for people to help pay for our studio time. And actually we made people pay for our studio time without paying them on a whim. When we're rich and famous, we'll pay you back. We actually wrote about the first album and into our second album before we actually found Simon Fuller and got signed to a record company, got signed with the management company and started to kind of put our music out there. And you were in that time a hustler, weren't you, in the sense of
1: you'd be doing little showcases for anyone. And I mean, even Simon Cowell, I laughed when I read in your incredible book, Brutally Honest, how you managed to corner him
0: as he was walking into a recording studio, did you? Well, yeah, we kind of (laughs) like pounded him and and kind of would sing a (laughs) cappella at the drop of a hat to anybody that would listen to us, whether it be record producers, Simon Cowell. You know, we were just wanting to be heard, and we didn't stop. And back in those days, it was all about boy bands. So girl bands were just like, no, nobody's going to buy your stuff. Nobody's interested. And we just kept on pursuing it and pursuing it. And this all happened. I mean it really did happen. Give us a sense
1: for what that was like. I mean, I loved reading about some of the stuff that you got up to. I mean,
0: you nicked Lou paper from Nelson Mandela's house. I did. But for, that was because our makeup artists were forced to stay outside when we got invited into Nelson Mandela's house. And I'm like, God, our makeup artists are our everything. I mean, they help us get ready. They help us look somewhat decent before we do our interviews and go on stage. I was like, they're not allowed in the house, Nelson Mandela's house. So I'm like, I'm going to nick a bit of toilet paper and put some stones in from the plant pots and just make sure that they have a memory of it. And the makeup artist and our hair and makeup have kept it still to this day.
1: Another story, Mel, that I absolutely loved was the sort of pranks that you and the other girls would do when you were in hotel rooms and
0: particularly bored and the poor room service people would arrive. That was always my idea because I found it so funny. Because even though we had five rooms in a hotel because we were quite popular then and we had more money, we would always end up staying in the same room together all five of us so we'd always eat dinner together we'd always have breakfast together so when the <laughs> room service guy came in with our five plates of food we would do pranks like okay let's all just pretend to be dead on the bed or let's all just walk around <laughs> topless or should I say I would walk around topless and the room service guy would not know where to put the things down or where to ask to sign it was funny you know we were teenagers we were like 18 19 years old fun. So much fun. And also too,
1: I read that your dad was determined to keep you grounded. That was sort of the advice that he said to you. Oh yeah. Don't get too full of yourself. You always
0: said to me, remember where you come from? I'm like, I come from Leeds. I'm a Northern girl. Hence I'm back in my hometown now. This is where I live, back home in Leeds. So yeah, he was right. And is it true that you used to wander around with a
1: plecky bag full of all of your stuff.
0: Yes. So in Leeds, in in the northern part of England, we had a supermarket called Morrison's, which is like a cheap, like Aldi cheaper than cheap. So I would always have a Morrison's bag and just shove all my stuff in it. And I would take it on a red carpet. I would rock up to interviews because it made me feel like, you know, I'm still me. I'm still that person from Leeds. And I think
1: that's why people love you so much, Mel, because who you are just oozes out of you. You're funny. You say what you feel. And, I mean, to me, you are the epitome of girl power and now it's like
0: girl power's grown up. Yeah, it's funny you say that, though, because I had, like, 10 years in a very abusive relationship, my book, Brutally Honest. 10 years I was, like, girl powerless. So it's funny how things change in your life and you get put in certain situations and you trust and believe and then you have to come out of it and then deal with the aftermath. But I'm glad that I've maintained my honesty and my, you know, my down-to-worthness, I hope.
1: And in your extraordinary autobiography, Brutally Honest, where you talk about that, as you say, you know, the irony of you being the gobby girl from Leeds as you describe yourself. Yeah is that you lost your voice over that time, didn't
0: you? Yeah, yeah. You know, abuse can just happen to anybody. These people that do that, and they do it for a living, I'm convinced, they swoop in like Prince Charming or Princess Charming and they dazzle you with everything that you want, as in the support, the love, the interest, and they already have their mission to destroy you and take your money and control you and ultimately (laughs) have you be nothing of your present existence.
1: I mean, you mentioned that there about, you know, they swoop in and they can sometimes almost love bomb you. Yeah. He came, though, at a time in your life when you just had Angel. Yeah. And so he
0: really manipulated you during that time, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he... I think he stalked me. He knew I was having a baby to a very wealthy, famous actor. Came in there and just, yeah, he did his due diligence. And, you know, if that's your only job is to be an abusive person and to take power and money and wealth from somebody that's vulnerable, you become very good at it. And these kind of people... Do the same thing it's like they have a certain black handbook and they all go by a certain rule because every survivor that i've spoken to after obviously i've obviously got out of that 10-year abusive horrid relationship i'm seven years out of that by now it's the same story exactly the same story that's when i knew i would found my people that i could support and find love from because we'd all been through exactly the same thing. I mean, it's a carbon cutout. Like the phases that they put you through from the love bombing, from I'll I'll figure out um, your finances. Don't you worry, you're working. It doesn't start off with what I think people think of, as in the physical stuff. It's the mental stuff that comes first and they hook you in like that and then everything else just goes and goes and goes. And then before you know it, you're blackmailed, you're in it, and you can't get out of it, so you think. And that's why a lot of people, unfortunately, they either commit suicide or they get out and their partner ends up killing them. The statistics on that level are so high. But these people get away with it time after time after time because they're so good at what they do. And if you think about it, as humans, we want love, we want attention, we want affection. They do it thousand bolts lightning bolts and they're very good at what they do that's why i wanted to bring the book out to give warning signs and i urge
1: our listeners to read it because it is such an eye opener and you write it in such
0: a open vulnerable way well that was actually one of my best friends that helped me write it louise gannon And she understands me and she wrote it in my voice, and it's just brilliant. I mean, I still to this day cannot listen or read to more than two chapters at a time because it just puts me right back in there. It's so well executed. In the book, you describe a time where
1: you take an overdose. Yeah. And on the outside, You're flying high in the sense of you're a judge on The X Factor, this massive show.
0: But that's what happens. When you're doing really well, the abuser will hate that and they'll want to bring you down and destroy you. And that's exactly what happened to me. The best time of my life, like in my career, I couldn't have been more on top of the world career-wise. So then that's what happened. What I found
1: phenomenal was you, though, still, even though you felt that you'd lost your voice, you showed up on that finale of X Factor. Describe for us what that was and
0: what you did, the message that you sent. Well, I just literally had my stomach pumped. I mean, you can can read it all in the book, but I literally went on camera. I wasn't meant to because I was too ill because my liver uh, was failing, everything like that. I went on camera, took my wedding ring off, and I went like that. I had bruises all on my face, everywhere. The makeup artist tried to cover everything up. Couldn't quite, because the bruises were deep, and they were Ah. And I went on camera like that, finally fainted.
1: Someone wasn't feeling
0: too well at all.
1: Thankfully, now that someone is back to fighting fitness, Mel B is back, everyone! I mean, to this, Graham, to Lisa here, but oh, we missed
0: you last night. You know, I really miss being here, but you know, thanks to all the doctors and nurses that took care of me and got me here tonight. Yes. Do so, a big better? thank you to them. Feeling better now, Karen? Feeling better now. Yes. Us, you? Then after the show, I went back to the hospital bed, got my IVs back in, started read the blood transfusion, everything like that. That was
1: such a powerful symbol because those pictures and those images went around the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just, I wanted to say to myself, you haven't got me fully yet. You've taken my money, my money's coming in my bank account from the X Factor, you've taken it out, where it's gone, offshore, whatever, this is what these kind of people do. And I was like, I've still got my integrity this is my job. This is my income. It didn't work. I worked. I was the 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 breadwinner of the family. So I was like, I can't get fired from this job. Take all these things out. Let me just get back on back up on stage and finish what, finish my contract. Because work for you was your safe
1: place, wasn't it? It was where you were able to really focus. It was the one time when you could isolate yourself from all of that horror in your everyday life. It wasn't
0: about isolating. It wasn't about my safe place. It was my safe place under one rule that he was never allowed on set. That's the one thing that Simon Cowell did for me. And with that question, I just said to him one day, can you please make sure my husband doesn't come to set? He went gladly, didn't ask any questions. Why? He nodded to me. He knew why. He was never allowed on set. Because back in the day when he came on set, I'd change. Like I'd be more careful with what I would say because I knew when I got home, I would get it. (laughs) So when he got banned from the set, which then was a standard throughout all my work in Australia, the UK, Los Angeles, and I could be myself. And it would, that, that became my safe space. So much so that when the work was over on a night time, I would just wait in my dressing room just to calm down and get my brain sorted out that I don't know what I'm going to go home to. But I'm glad I got a bit of, I'm glad I got to breathe and do what I do. Which you do
1: so incredibly well. and uh, With Simon Cowell, you call him your TV dad.
0: I do. He's also my annoying little brother at the same time <laughs> because he really is annoying. He is. He's like a kid in a candy store. But also, let's not forget, he's a genius. with The stuff that he's done for TV, like what he's created, he's really good at what he does. But I'm bad.
1: Oh, you are. Well, I reckon you're better and my daughters do and a whole lot of other people around the world. What I want to talk with you about is what you're describing about what you went through. It's what so many women go
0: through. Well, it's an epidemic. I didn't realise how much of an epidemic it was, not just in the UK, but worldwide. And I think it's been going on for centuries we just redefine it, we put a different label to it, but abuse and coercive control and manipulation, you know, has been going on between same-sexes, men and women, you know, LGBTQ community, but it's something that we're now speaking up about and you can put it in the Jeffrey Epstein's, the Me Too, the cancel culture, but it's something that we need to address we need to make sure that our children grow up with morals, with ground rules, with respect for our own bodies and each other's bodies. And there has to be kind of an understanding that, that it's not okay to do that. Whether it be a fetish or whether it be something that you impose on somebody, when you're taking somebody out of a safe environment and making them not feel safe without their consent, that's no. And no means no, whether you whisper it or whether your body language says it. Because you talk about, too, you're a very
1: sexual person. You love yeah. both men and women, yeah, which is fantastic. And I think what happens is when people inject shame around that into a relationship and then use that to blackmail you,
0: that is just terrifying, isn't it? Well, I think it's something that abusers do. They, they thrive off blackmail because then they could never be pinpointed to be the, the person that's done it because... They have a full guy or a full person in place. But, you know, I'm still dealing with the shame that I stuck in that marriage for 10 years. I'm still dealing with the guilt for my friends, my family, my kids, most importantly, what I subjected them to or what they heard or what they saw, what they interpreted. You know, it's going to be with me for the rest of my life. And I wouldn't want anybody to go through anything midging of what I've gone through you know because it's damaging you have to literally build yourself up from the inside out and understand that you know what you see in movies can actually happen to you in real life and it does often and it's an epidemic you know we still have to sort out the justice system we still have to sort out how people can feel safe in their home how women men whoever you are whoever you identify as can feel safe in an intimate relationship without things being taken too far it's like a whole like mindset that we have to kind of rethink because it's not okay to be aggressive or coercive control or manipulate somebody for your own well-being for your own doing that's not okay and half the time you don't even know it's been done to you. That's how good they
1: are. Yes, because it happens like in that gradual one stage at a time. A
0: drip, 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 the drip. Yeah.
1: Let's talk a bit about shame. I think for you though, because you've been so open about your experiences, we are only as sick as our biggest secrets. And because you
0: are now open. Oh, I like that. I'm only as sick as that big a secret. You see, I don't have secrets. I had secrets for 10 years. And I wouldn't say I was sick during that time because of my secret. I was ashamed and guilty. But you could almost, I suppose, twist it a bit to
1: say once you realise you don't have to be secretive about these things because there's nothing for you to be ashamed of. Yeah. That's hopefully,
0: lifts some of the guilt and the shame. It does, but then you have to, you know, it's like what my mother said. She's very northern. She's very, you know, Leeds, UK. Oh, well, you're you're not with him anymore. Surely you would be fine now. But when you leave that kind of toxic relationship, that's when the whole other journey starts you have to start understanding yourself because maybe in that abusive relationship, you were told what to wear, told what to say, told how to speak. Your phone was taken away from you. You didn't have access to your credit card. You didn't have access to your uh, key to your home. So you then have to start to live the broken person, but understand that you're healthier now well, that's why a lot of women go back because maybe they've had a kid with that person. So that person's blackmailing you for the judicial court system. So you have to go back to see your kid. So you can deal with the coercive control and the abusive stuff, but it's not healthy. So then when you finally break free, you've got a justice system that's completely against you and you have your own mind that's completely against you because... Maybe you were told to only wear black and now you have to decide every day what to wear. You didn't have to do that because your abuser picked out your clothes. It's a whole understanding and learning curve that you actually have. It's like walking for the first time. It's like discovering yourself again. It's like not questioning yourself. Like, do I do that? Do I do this? Because usually you have somebody going, do this, do that. So now you have to rely on yourself and now you have to trust yourself. You trusted somebody who you thought you loved. How could they do something so cruel to you? So now your mindset is all over the place. Do I even trust myself if I trusted that and that was bad, How can I trust what to what I even do today? Do I go to the shop? What do I wear? What do I say to my mother? Am I fine? Am I not? So it's a whole learning curve that is so hard. And I've been struggling for years to find an actual word for it. It's not PTSD. It's not flashbacks. It's not any of the other diagnoses that you get from a doctor. It's something else that basically is rebuilding your self-esteem, your life, your opinions, kind of based on what you were before you met the nightmare, but also reinventing yourself with a knowledge. It's like an older knowledge And I don't know what that word is, but I'll find it out one time. But it's so important.
1: It is, because there'd be people listening, relating very much to your story.
0: Or they'd be switching off going, I can't, I can't deal with that.
1: <laughs> no, nonsense. Mel, where did you get the courage to decide, I'm
0: leaving, I've got to get out of this? I didn't get the courage. I mean, when I read the statistics off Women's Aid website, you know, they say that you attempt to leave at least seven times. That was exactly the amount of times I tried to leave. And On the eighth time, I left with nothing. No clothes on my back, just my kids in my hand,
1: my car, and I left. And you had, what, I think less than
0: $900 in your account, did Probably you? less than that, because... He took everything. I didn't care. I don't want to be, I didn't want to be tied to anybody at that point. I just wanted to leave. After six, seven times trying to leave and then going back because blackmail and the kids and this and that, I just wanted to leave with my kids and know that we were going to have a peaceful night that night.
1: You now have a peaceful, happy life, don't you? I do, <laughs>
0: There is a happy story at some point. <laughs> yeah, of
1: course there is, and I think hope. I'm such a believer in hope, and that's very much what your story is, Mel. How do you stay? Because it's impossible to be happy all the time.
0: But I know laughter for you is a biggie. Oh, isn't comedy! It? Like I, I always say to when I go to do my talks that whether it be my MBE and this and the other, or whether it be in the shelter, which is local to me, I always say, you have to laugh. You have to force yourself to laugh when you get out of a situation like that because there's no rhyme or reason why you ended up in it. You can't comprehend that until you've started to heal yourself. So what I would do is I would watch comedy. The first two, three years out of that relationship, All I did night and day when I wasn't working or sorting out the kids is watch comedy. I had to laugh because I cried so much inside and outside. I needed a laugh. That's when I found my beautiful guy, Peter (laughs) Kay. From Blackpool. Yeah, you need to have an outlet. You need to remind yourself of what feels good which is laughter and love. Love was so distorted, and which it is going to be for anybody that's come out of such an abusive, coercive relationship. Love is like, oh no, I don't even know what that is. So laughter is the only thing. Are you in love at the moment? Yeah. And that's, I, I still that's find wonderful. it strange to even say that. And I still question it. It's like, Am I in love? No, yes, I am in love. I've got a lovely ring. I've got a guy that's known me for many, many years, even before Spice Girls, he's known me. He's a family friend. And I have to remind myself, this is how it's meant to feel. Oh, you see, and that I think is so brilliant, Mel.
1: Oh, thank you. (laughs) You deserve that.
0: Well, I think every person on this earth, whether you've been through what I've been through or not, you're meant to find kindness in people. Otherwise, why are we even here? We're meant to learn from people and learn from experiences and have a connection with things, with people, with, you know, nature.
1: You wrote in your book as well that Eddie Murphy was the love of your
0: life. Oh, yeah. Do you still feel that way? 100% he was. 100%. I've got my beautiful angel who's 16, blue with flying colours, the GCSEs, now the art college, like living the dream through hard work and perseverance and we created a beautiful human being together out of pure love.
1: Oh, and so would you say you guys have a good connection now?
0: Me and Eddie. I mean, it's not obviously as good as mine and my fiancé's, but, yeah, it's doable and it's understandable.
1: And I loved as well, I read a story where there was a performance in L.A. and you were there in your trackies desperate to go and watch Angel and then there was Eddie in the back and you felt mortified because you were sort of dressed down and he was (laughs) looking
0: immaculate. Yeah, but he'd (laughs) also put a, a seat beside him for me to sit there, which is very respectful. Yeah, that's so beautiful.
1: Tell me as well, you mentioned the MBE and you got your MBE for the work that you've done helping survivors of family abuse.
0: What was that moment like for you? Uh, well, I didn't believe it at first. I thought, well, MBE. For a start, I had to Google it and actually figure out exactly what it meant. And then I thought, why haven't the Spice Girls got an MBE or an OBE? <laughs> and it was literally from Women's Aid, my charity that I'm patron of. I'm so proud to be patron of that. I was even shocked that they'd even asked me due to my Louise and the book and stuff. And yeah, it was for my like making people aware of abuse and coercive control because coercive control only got into the law in 2015, which is shocking. Oh, it is. Even the word coercive control is kind of hard to wrap your head around. You have to kind of Google it to understand exactly what it means. But yeah, I mean, we're moving forward, but women's aid have just been my like backbone in all of this. And didn't Victoria design both your dress and your mum's dress? Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah, which is really lovely. Then she took us out for dinner after we got the MBE at Buckingham Palace. It was a lovely, a lovely day, lovely evening. Now,
1: when are we going to see a Spice Girls reunion?
0: Well, hopefully pretty bloody soon because we've all signed on to do something which I can't tell you what it is. There should be an announcement in like um a few weeks or months, but I'm not going to be the gobby one again to put the cow in the bag. So yeah, it's going to be soon. It'll be very exciting. Can you give us a
1: little bit of a a hint? Yeah, it's going to be all five of us. Oh wow! <laughs> there you go. And would it
0: involve a world tour? Or a
1: new Let's song? Or... Let's not push
0: it because I've just given you that and I'm probably going to get told off for giving you that anyway. So there you go. Oh, I, and I don't want that to happen. I loved
1: as well, you know, reading about those Spice school days, how you and Jerry would get up to all sorts of mischief. It was really the two of you <laughs> who would be in the clubs and really having the hijinks.
0: yeah. Yeah, she's the force to be reckoned with, or she was back in the day. Now she's way more refined and a little bit more sensible. But, yeah, I remember the Jerry that I love and I adore. I mean, there'd be no stopping us together. No stopping us. (laughs) Because what did you do? It was
1: outside, I think, Elton John's hotel room. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of shenanigans
0: that went on there. Yeah. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) involving weighing in a pot plant, wasn't it? Yeah, I'll take the blame for that because Jerry denies it, but we all know what happened, so I'll just leave it there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just before we go, you are an incredible mum. Listening to you talk about your three daughters, your face lights up. What does being a mum mean to you, Mel? Well, it just
0: makes life not about you, it's about your kids. Everything I do is for my kids. And what kind of mum would you describe yourself as? Oh, I'm fun, but I'm very strict. And then I'm not so strict, but then I am again. And then I'm fun and then I'm not so much fun. I mean, just every parent's like, <laughs> and the book of how they can be nice, but not nice, strict, but not strict. I'm just exactly like that. It's hard,
1: isn't it, sometimes to be
0: consistent? That's what I struggle with. Yeah, but I do have a rule. My kids will never lie to me. That's my number one rule. You never lie to me. I would rather you call me the truth, but you're not going to get in trouble for that truth. If you're going to lie to me, that's it. You are grounded and everything's taken out of your room for weeks if you lie to me. Lies are just never good in this household. Never.
1: How do you know if they're lying, though? That's often I find a bit of a tricky thing. I think it's their eyes. And it's how
0: you bring them up as you don't lie. Do not lie.
1: And now your mum, who you call mother, which I just think is divine. It's so formal.
0: Yeah, but it's also quite strict. mother. (laughs) It's also like, you are my mother, be a mother. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: it's really beautiful that you two have really very much come back together, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I did a lot. I had to do a lot of work on myself because, you know, when you're in that kind of relationship that I was for 10 years, you expect your mother or your father to come and save you. Well, my mother or father didn't come and save me because I didn't realize how bad it was. And also they was tricked by the abuser. So I blamed a lot on my parents, but also I blamed a lot on myself. I can really kind of dig deep and forgive myself for thinking that and also be nice to my parents. So it's been a long work in progress because also my mother's of the age and of the generation where it's like, oh, you've got rid of that now. You're fine. Well, actually, no, I'm not fine. I still need to talk about it. I still need to get to grips. I still need to understand it where my mum's like, therapy's for, what is therapy anyway? That's what the Americans do. (laughs) So I'm like, no, therapy's actually really good, mother. You know, I've got parents that are of that generation where you don't need that. Just put a plaster on it and you're fine. Off you go. So I've had to educate myself a lot and educate my mum a lot, but also just be kinder and be just... And more understanding. Yes. And also be gentle on yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you know what I find fascinating to talking with you is sometimes in life, we almost do the full circle. You grew up in Leeds and, and now you, Leeds. you're back there. <laughs> but often we do that in our lives. We spend so long thinking we've got to escape. We've got to grow up. We've got to experience this and experience that.
0: Oh, no, listen, I lived in America for 25 years. It was like a long holiday. I went there when Phoenix was like six years old. I was like, God, this is a long holiday and I can actually work in this environment. And then what you don't even realize you long for is the home stability, what you were the foundation that you were brought up in, which is green, cows, sheep, like nature, leads. And there you
1: are, happy and just being extraordinary. Mel, I have so (laughs) loved talking with
0: you. Oh, you too. It's actually five past midnight and I have to get my dogs. You've got one dog here, look. And then I have my two Rottweilers downstairs that I'm going to go and get right now. Oh,
1: how wonderful. It's been so lovely talking to you.
0: Yeah. That was a really long interview and a really lovely interview.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful for your time, Mel. And you are absolutely the bee's knees. It is a highlight and a joy to talk to you. And just thank you for blazing the trail for young women, for women of all ages and sharing your story. And now look, I'm off to bed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, you sleep tight and I adore will. you and love you on Mars, singer. So we can't wait to see that.
0: Thank but you. But so much
1: love and thank you. Thanks, beautiful. Bye. Mwah. Oh my goodness. How amazing is Mel B? That is such a highlight for me chatting with her. It was a real, pinch yourself moment. She is such a superstar, but so down to earth. I honestly couldn't believe it. Such a moment for me. And isn't she open, as I was saying, about her own experiences because she wants to help so many other women. So if you or someone you know is experiencing family violence, you can contact one respect on one 737 732 The Masked Singer Australia is back for 2023 and you can catch Mel on the panel each Sunday through Tuesday at 7.30pm on 10 and 10 Play On Demand. It is such a fun show and the costumes and the entertainers and Mel, I mean, you do not want to miss it. It is just fabulous. And in the spirit of keeping girl power alive, why not share this episode with a friend who you know will love this chat with Mel. And for more big conversations like this with Mel B, subscribe and follow the Jess Big Talk Show podcast. It means you'll never miss an episode. And I think if you enjoyed this episode with Mel B, you'll love my chat with Trini Woodall. I think you've got to think, how would I feel at 60 if I hadn't tried? That's the first question I ask myself. How would I feel that I might have let myself down, that I maybe didn't reach my full potential, that maybe at 50 I was thinking, even though I've done so much in my life, in my mind I hadn't reached the place of what I wanted to be as a person doing what I was doing. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter.